finish out our year. It is uh, December. We're going to be back in late January, uh, picking back up. But we are finishing our series tonight, like my boy Scott said. And uh, my name is Luke Hoagland. Uh, as he said, my, I'm a leader here at the block, one of the founders. And um, tonight, I am just excited to get to give you the message. So I, uh, I'm about to turn 29 years old. My wife reminds me. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife reminds me of this uh, a lot the last few weeks. I'm getting old. And uh, what that means is a decade ago, I was a 19-year-old freshman at K-State University. And at K-State is where I really began growing in my walk with God. And I decided to go to Gulf Shores, Alabama for a summer where I would grow in my faith, learn what it means to be a man of God. And so uh, going to the beach. And so I, I, we all road trip down there. There's 200 students and day one you get to meet who is in your group and so I uh, there's six guys and one of these guys his name was Lance and Lance was from a little small town about a thousand people in western Kansas he he talked real slowly you know talk real slowly and uh, he had a nice twang to his voice and he was the most country guy I had met in that point of my life to be quite honest with you very country individual um, and he was extremely particular about one thing, and it was, of course, his truck. You know, stereotypical. Man loves his truck, his Ford F-150. And I got to be honest, it was the nicest car that anyone brought down. It was a very nice Ford F-150. And uh, how particular was Lance, you ask? Well, I wiped down his car with wipes many times because he told me to. He wiped it down almost every single day with these leather wipes, got a car wash at least once a week. I can't tell you all the things. I don't even want to go into all this. I don't want to remember all the things. It was overboard. Let me tell you something. But one weekend, we road tripped to North Georgia, and it was a seven-hour drive. He drove all seven hours on the way up because he doesn't let anyone touch his steering wheel. But on the way back, Lance got tired for good reason. It's a long road trip, and he, he pulls me aside at the gas station, and he says, hey, man, like, I need you to drive. I need you to drive for me. So baffled that these words came out of his mouth. I did hop into the driver's seat. He's still particular though, right? So I'm sitting there in the driver's seat like I'm here to drive. 15 minutes goes by and the man finally lets me get out of this parking lot and drive. Why? Because he's got this logbook, this just checklist of items that he's like, hey man, tell me the mileage. Tell me what the mileage is. Let's, let's check the oil life. And he's keeping all of these in his logbook. He's calculating the miles per gallon by hand. Like, you know you guys don't need to do that. It's on your car, in the dashboard, automatically done for you. He just doesn't trust technology. He's got to do it on his own calculator. And uh, so the man was obsessed and eventually let me pull out of the, the gas station and drive away. As we're driving, I thought it was over. As we're driving, he's like, hey, man, step on the gas a little bit right here. So you feel that? And I'm, you feel what? The acceleration? Like, this is a car, man. I've driven a car before. Every 10 or 20 minutes, you get, how's she driving? How's she driving, man? The man knew the car well, and he was so obsessed, so obsessed. But I didn't think for a second to like, hey, stop telling me how's it driving. Stop asking me. You know, I didn't think to not give him the information he was looking for. I didn't defy any of his requests because Lance loved this truck. He was obsessed with it. His life savings went into buying this nice Ford F-150. That's just a country boy's dream, I guess, I think, buying that Ford F-150. He spent all of his money 
on it. He owned it. He bought it. It was his. And I made fun of him all of the time, all of the time for it. But he didn't view his car as something to be used and bruised and discarded like I treated my Nissan Altima. Sorry, Mom. I, yeah, I treated it really poorly. She bought it. She bought it for me when I was 16, and all of the door handles were broken and off the car for many years. And, um, and so he, but he viewed it as something to be cared for, taken excellent care of, to be stewarded so that it would do its job for as long as possible. Lance treated his truck like a temple. Because he treated it so well and valued it so highly, I treated it like a temple. And that is the ID we are focusing on tonight, is a temple. The Christian and their body is a temple to be cared for and stewarded. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. We're also going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 20, uh, sorry, not 20, chapter 6. Um, so place hold those if you want to. But before we look into them, I'm curious, in the room right now, young adults, Kansas City, you hear the word temple and wrong answers only, what comes to mind? Shout them out. Chiefs? <laughs> Shirley Temple. That's a, good, that's a good drink. What else we got? Temple University? Yeah, they make a good run in the college basketball March Madness every year. What else? Bangkok? Okay. <laughs> okay. What'd you say? What? Mormons, yeah. Mormons, yeah. It's like we don't, the Christians don't really have temples anymore, but Mormons, Buddhists, Hindus have temples. Anything else? I thought of uh, high school, temple run, middle school, temple run. Do you guys play that? I had a lot more time to think about this than you guys did, though, so I don't blame you. I realize these are some silly examples, but I don't think we have, for the most part, I don't think we have really strong associations with temple anymore, right? We're pretty far removed from when the temple was around in the Bible. But God is clear in the Bible that categorically the importance of temple is huge. On a simple word search that I did myself, I'm sure you could do better word searches than I did, but 500 times in the Old Testament, the word temple is used. And if you thought it was an Old Testament thing, it's used another, another 120 times in the New Testament. And this is only when the word temple itself is used. I searched T-E-M-P-L-E, and that was it. But if you search tent of meeting, tabernacle, garden, fire by day, uh, or fire by night, cloud by day, you get well over a thousand uses throughout the scriptures. And for reference with our previous IDs, branch is used 94 times, salt 36 times, light 263 times. Light is a huge concept in the Bible. Temple is used more often. And not to hate on last week's jars of clay, but it's used one time. And I'm not trying to make light of jars of clay at all. But I want to emphasize that understanding the Bible as a whole, clearly you need to understand the idea of temple and what it means. So a quick, simple definition, a temple is on the screen there, a place where God dwells. We want to keep that in mind as we get into it. But our first point of emphasis tonight is the temple of God is holy. So really, with it being such a huge concept in the scriptures, it actually starts in Genesis, in the garden. The garden is a type of temple because God dwelled there. Man dwelled there. Adam and Eve were with God in the garden, and we all know what happens. They had this pure relationship, and then Adam and Eve chose to obey the devil rather than God. And that pure relationship that 
they had with God was broken. Really, the next time that uh, they're kicked out of the garden, right? And the next time we see God show up and dwell somewhere is when he chooses the people Israel. They've been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, and God chooses the weakest nation in the world to glorify himself through. He's going to raise them up and make them a great, great nation and lead them out of captivity. And God leads them out. He, he opens the seas, right? And they, they walk across the sea on dry ground. And he's leading them, like I said earlier, in that cloud by day and fire by night. His presence is visible, and it's there. It's not with the people, but it's out in front of the people. It's in their midst. And then God, he, he commands Moses. He's like, Moses, you, you know my heart. I, I can trust you. He says, I want you to build what is called a tent of meeting, a tabernacle. This is another type of temple in the Bible. And so he commands Moses. He gives three chapters in the Bible to say how exactly he should build this temple. And so he's, he has not built this temple, but really God is leading people into the promised land, right? He's taking them into a place where they can stay permanently. And it's not until they get to the promised land that he allows the temple, the permanent temple to be built. And here's what that permanent temple looked like. It's a good picture. Uh, pretty, pretty stellar. It's pretty eye-popping for sure. It's a good, crazy looking temple. It looks awesome. It's magnificent. And uh, they finally get to the promised land. They say, we want a permanent structure. So God gives way more than three chapters to describe how he wants this thing to be built. He wants it to be the most magnificent, beautiful, grand structure in all of creation to worship the only true God and creator. So around a thousand years uh, before Christ, a thousand BC, King Solomon is the one who gets to build this temple. And so he hires 30,000 people to build this temple. He, sh he ships in lumber from the best spot in the world, has it uh, shipped down this river. He needs the best wood in the world. There is no expense spared in its construction. He overlaid the whole interior of it with gold and much of it with bronze and silver. And he hired well over 4,000 musicians and worshipers and dancers that would be praising God all the time in the temple. Because this was such a glorious and sacred place for God, there were rules. There were rituals. He didn't want anyone to mess this thing up. He said, this is the place where I will be pleased to dwell among you. He's like, I'm not going to let you mess it up. And he gives these rules. Only certain people were allowed to go certain places with, within the temple. I don't know if I've got a laser pointer on here. I'm not going to risk it. Oh, there it is. Hey. So uh, if you look right there. That's called the court of the Gentiles. So anyone in the world who could come and they want to encounter the living God, they could go into that big area and worship God and learn about him. And they would see priests working at the temple and offer sac offering sacrifices. But anyone in the world could go in there. If you look in the next, through this gate right here, if you go in there, only Jews, only the people of Israel were allowed into this area. And then if you go through the next gate, Right there, only priests beyond, beyond that door right there, only priests were allowed to go through that door. So it's getting more exclusive and more exclusive. And then we get to the special part. We get to what is called the holy place and the most holy place. So this, this is the place where God is, his, most, his special presence is in the holy place and the most holy holy place. The most sacred items that God's people have come across in their time of following him are here. It was a special place for him to dwell. But I, I want you to notice something in particular. We've got right in the middle this kind of checkered thing. 
It's the curtain. It's the curtain, or also known as a veil. But this curtain was 40 feet tall. 40 foot tall, maybe 60 feet tall. We don't know. We, they have weird measurements back in the day, so our conversions are a little strange. But it was 40 feet tall. It was four inches thick of sturdy fabric that was interwoven with gold and special linens. And they had the best weavers in the world weave angels into this curtain. It was magnificent. And it was there to remind about the holiness of God, to signify that he is separate and special. He is holy. And the people are sinful. There is this separation between that and God's special presence is right behind the curtain. And only one day of the year was anyone even allowed back behind that curtain. It was called the Day of Atonement. One person could go in, the high priest, he was the only one allowed in. He had to be a descendant of Aaron. But what would happen on that one day of the year when someone could finally go back behind the curtain is they would sacrifice an animal. They would sacrifice an animal. They would take its blood and the high priest would go up to that curtain. He would sprinkle blood on it seven times. And then they would fill the room with smoke because of incense. And until that happened, until it was smoky and they had sprinkled blood, then the high priest could go through the curtain into the most holy place where the proverbial throne of God was. So there's, there's sacrifices, there's animal sacrifices present. And, uh, and, and so they would, they would fill the room with that smoke. And because they didn't want any of those items to be looked at by man, it was if you saw, if you even saw the presence of God, if you saw those items, you would be knocked dead on your butt. But most importantly for us to understand, it's a lot of details, a lot of rules, a lot of rituals. Most importantly, what we understand, want to understand is the tabernacle and the temple, the tent of meeting are all showing that the presence of God is in fact in the midst of the people. God was always there. He was faithful and accessible. But at the same time, the holy place and the most holy place show that God's holiness and his inaccessibility to the people is also there because of their sin. There's a verse that sums this up pretty well. It's a, there's a little zoom in on the curtain for you. Uh, Hebrews 10, four through five says, in all of these sacrifices, in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Fast forward to 33-ish AD, what is happening is Christ is being crucified. We're in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. And John the Baptist, he is calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what's happening to Jesus? He's getting an unfair trial, unfair treatment. He's being whipped and held in chains. He's on the cross. Verse 45, it says, From the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. Jesus is on the cross. Sixth hour, ninth hour, simple math, three hours. Jesus is on the cross for th over three hours. And Jesus, at the ninth hour, he cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a stick to give him to drink. So they, they thought that, this, that Jesus was actually calling out to Eli, Elijah. And so one of the guys is running up to him. He's like, we've got to kill him real quick before Elijah shows up to save him. 
But the others said, wait, are we out here? No, go back, there we go. And the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. You can sense that they are conflicted even in their own thoughts about crucifying Jesus. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus died. So Matthew is telling the narrative here. He's going to, now he's going to take us on this whirlwind of events. Jesus has died. The son of God, perfect spotless lamb of God has died and it sets into motion a whirlwind of events that because of his death. This is what it says. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split Tombs were open. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after Jesus rose, they went into the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and appeared to many. This says, when the centurion and those who were with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus while he's being crucified, when they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And the, the curtain, we're, we're focusing on the curtain there, right? The curtain of the temple was torn in two because of Jesus's death. And it was torn from top to bottom, meaning no man could have torn, it's 40 feet up in the air. No man could have torn this thing. It's four, uh, four inches thick. No scissors are gonna, gonna work on that thing, right? I don't know if they had scissors back in 1000 B, or uh, 0 BC. I have no idea. Um, but torn from top to bottom supernaturally. The curtain of this temple was torn in two by the Father, Above, he looks down at that curtain and he tears it. He says, this isn't needed anymore. He says, we don't need this curtain anymore. It's no longer needed. My son, Jesus' sacrifice, it was perfect. It was enough. The curtain, the physical temple, the animal sacrifice is all no longer needed. Christ was sufficient for all time. Perfect. You guys know the rest of the story. Christ was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. He appeared to his disciples and followers, and he said, go into all the world and tell people that the curtain is torn. God is accessible. Jesus has paid the cost. He's made God accessible. Your sin no longer separates you from God. Jesus ascended just a few days later to be with the Father in heaven. And the Holy Spirit, he promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit shows up. He takes up residence in, or he makes his home in the hearts of all people who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, and his disciples live to share that good news, to share the good news that the curtain is torn, that Christ's sacrifice is enough, and it spread and spread everywhere, right? We're here in America. This happened in, like, next to the Mediterranean Sea. It spread without TikTok. It spread without YouTube or the internet. This spread a natural but supernatural way by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing life after life, eternity after eternity. That's where we are today. That's where we sit. That's the good news story that every Christian in the room is a part of. Every Christian in the room is continuing to be changed by this truth every single day because instead of being separated from God, instead of being an enemy of God because of our sin, like Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 11 says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus will also give 
life to your normal bodies, your bodies right now. He's giving you supernatural, new, eternal life. We were once enemies with God. We're his children now. He's no longer separated from us, but he dwells in us. Anyone who's not a Christian in the room, just, hey, thanks for just coming and wanting to seek God and check him out. And let me tell you that this is real. His transformation, his power is real. Everyone who is a Christian in the room right now has been exactly where you are sitting as well, an enemy of God separated from by him by our own sin. But God's shown his love for us, that while we were enemies, while we were sinning against him, while we were offending him in everything we were doing, Christ died for us. That's all we can ask, I can ask of you tonight. If you're, if you're not a Christian in the room, that's what you have to do is consider Jesus. Consider a sacrifice on your behalf for your sinful patterns of life. He can change them. For your future that looks hopeless, he can give you hope. Only he has the power to change this reality in your life. And, and I would love to talk with you afterwards. We've got stage connectors that are going to be up here too. We would love to help you along the way, help you help show you Christ, there'd be no greater privilege. And there was a movie in 2012 called Act of Valor. Has anyone seen Act of Valor? Four people, good. So what happens is these Navy SEALs create a story off of real missions that they went on while they were Navy SEALs. And um, super unique movie, highly recommend to the rest of you other than the four. Um, and in the final mission of this movie, what happens is this group of eight Navy SEALs, they're about to infiltrate this terrorist base. They've got intel. The leader is there. They're going to take them out, right? And so they, they sneak in. But as the viewer, you get to see that there's one guy who sees them. And he's following them from above on this, like, catwalk, just kind of just sneaking behind them, trying to find a time to take out the eight Navy SEALs. And right when the Navy SEALs, they're, like, all posted up, like, outside of the door where the, the terrorist leader is at. And the guy from above just somehow, so gingerly, drops this grenade right next to all eight of them. It hits perfectly. No one hears it. But one guy, a guy named Rourke, sees it out of the corner of his eye. And you can imagine he's like, it's right next to all of them. They're all about to get blown to shreds. And he sees that no one else notices. They're looking at the door. They're ready to break in. And so Rourke having really just one option. He yells, grenade, and he runs and jumps on the grenade, and you see just his body takes the entire blow. His body's everywhere at that point, as you can imagine, a grenade doing that to a human being. He looks, he's definitely dead. Everyone is looking at him, can't believe what they just saw, and they, but they're still on their mission, right? They break in, they, they kill the terrorist leader, but what's important about this story is you see the seven guys whose lives we're saved, we're sacrificed. The movie goes on and shows you what they did with their lives. A few of them named kids after this guy named Rourke. No one dreams of naming their kids named Rourke, but they've been sacrificed for it. So they name their kids Rourke. A few of them open a, a, a foundation and they raise money in his name and they live lives to honor the life and the things that Rourke believed in to carry on his work and heart. And, and if, as we parallel this, we consider Jesus who lived a completely holy life. He showed that the best life was found dwelling with and walking with and serving in obedience the God 
of the universe, and he did it without sin. He didn't need to fall into sin. He didn't need to go sin a little bit over there. His life was full. It was full of hope and truth and healing and transformation and forgiveness and a love for others, and this is the purpose of God. He's restoring and transforming things here. And now, rather than just Rourke, one person living sacrificially, there's now seven people living sacrificially like Rourke did. It's the same way with Jesus. They were, they were ambassadors for Rourke, and this is, a, this is now a greater and better way in God's eyes. Instead of just dwelling in the temple, he is dwelling in his people that can go anywhere. We are his ambassadors. While he is on his throne in heaven, he sends us out to represent him. He can be in so many places at once, engaging with people, reaching a lost and dying world. And this is the second point I want to encourage you in tonight is now, there we go. No, that's truth number one. There we go. Now your body is the temple, so be holy. All right, we're going to 1 Corinthians 6. Paul is writing to these Christians who are in Corinth. And they uh, have written him a letter. They're like, we got some stuff going on. Like, we are struggling over here. People are doing some, some crazy stuff. And so there's jump out of your seat type of things going on. If we're honest, a lot of this is going on today. But they're, they're picking favorites and they're being divisive because of preferences. And there's this sex scandal everyone's heard about. This, this son is, uh, is in a sexual relationship with his uh, stepmom. <laughs> some of the believers are suing one another over just trivial things that they should be forgiving each other for. And as we see, many are being sexually immoral and lacking self-control. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You see that's in quotes. All things are lawful for me. He's quoting them. He's quoting their words. He's quoting the people, what people would say in Corinth. People say, all things are lawful for me. Basically, like, I can do whatever I want. And Paul's like, not all things are helpful, though. Not all things are good. They say, I can do whatever I want, but I will not be dominated by anything. You can do whatever you want, but is there something that you are unable to not do? Are you bound to it? It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Another quote. And God will destroy both one and the other. Our our desires, even when it comes to food and drink, are corrupted by sin. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body has been saved by Jesus. It no longer ought to be used for the sins you once walked in, right? That's logical. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Your body, the Christian, your body is going to be raised one day. The body you sit in right now is going to be raised, perfected in heaven, made perfect and holy. The body you sit in right now, even if you're cremated, regardless of what happens, God puts it back together. He is powerful and will raise us. So do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. It's, it's saying that you and your sexual immorality and your watching porn and your lusting after that guy or girl in your mind aren't just thoughts. 
And they're not just actions. They've got real spiritual consequences, but they've got real physical consequences on your own body. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And he's going to slap one. If you're not convinced yet that you ought to have self-control in your body because the Lord has saved it, he slaps one more thing on there. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I know the Chiefs are a bit of a sore subject since Sunday. I daily can attest I got a little angry. And so I can confessing that to you guys. But a little bit of a sore subject. But last year in October, we played the Washington football team. And it was in Washington. And uh, it was a special day for them because they were honoring a former player, Sean Taylor. He was an all-star cornerback safety. And he was tragically murdered in his own home. And so... This day, the Kansas City is there. We're about to play them. They, they renamed the street in front of the stadium after Sean Taylor. They, uh, they retire Sean Taylor's jersey number, and notably for the story, they put two logos on the field that uh, represent Sean Taylor, and they, they honor Sean Taylor's name. And the very day that they did all of this, Jackson Mahomes was in attendance. And if you remember the story, he had someone record him do, uh, doing like a TikTok dance, and uh, right on Sean Taylor's new logo. Of course, it blows up, right? Social media goes nuts with it. Everyone is just saying the worst things they've said in the last week to Jackson Mahomes on social media and wondering, how could he be such an awful human being? How could he be such a heartless person? How could he be so immature? Just nasty comment after another. And Jackson later, he responded. Jackson said, hey, I, I meant absolutely no disrespect to Sean Taylor and his family. He mentioned how him and his little entourage that were there, they were directed to stand actually on the logo. So he was told to stand there, but he did apologize. But the issue here wasn't necessarily with his type of dance. You guys saw me do my dance. Uh, It wasn't with his moves. Rather, the issue in the moment, he didn't understand where he was standing. He didn't understand the new reality of his present location. Last week, that would have been fine right there. This week, it's different. The ground he was standing on was not normal ground. To the Christian, you've been bought. No longer enslaved to your sin. God has taken away the guilt of your sin from you. He's taken away your fear of death. You're no longer enemies, but you are his friend. You're his son. You're his daughter, but don't forget that your bodies were bought. We love the other stuff, but we can forget that our bodies were purchased too. They're not just bodies like they used to be, like they were yesterday before you knew Jesus. Today, they are, they are something different. The word temple in these verses is actually naos. I think I nailed that. Naos in the original Greek language, and it doesn't refer to the temple as a whole, like that first picture of the temple. It doesn't refer to the entire thing, but to the most beautiful thing. It refers to the holy place in the most holy place. You're not the whole temple. You are the most holy place, the special place 
where God dwells, the place where only people approved and permitted can enter into. You are that place, Christian. You've been chosen. You've been approved by God because Christ was approved as payment for your sin. So Paul here is saying, do you not know? Do you not understand? The things you do in the body matter. They've got greater significance than they ever have. Now that you are saved and in Christ, you're God's temple, a place you and others now encounter the God of the universe. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and made him alive again is what lives in you, Christian. What this means for you is that your sex addiction, your lust addiction, your pornography addiction, your drug abuse, your pride of yourself and your reputation and your character, your personality, you idolizing money and things and your addiction to your body and physicality, your food addiction, your doubts, you're commanded to not be mastered or controlled by any of these things. But the power to overcome and conquer all of these things lives in you. I don't mean to say that it's easy. That's not easy. I, <laughs> I was addicted to porn for a lot of years, you know, and it was not easy. It's difficult and it will always be a struggle. We've spent years feeding our body its every desire, right? With no filter, no, no care of what God thinks. We've been feeding its desires and building these habits, training our mind to think in ways that don't honor God. Like last week, Nick talked about we are also jars of clay. What we bring to God isn't amazing, <laughs> right? We're weak. We're fragile. We're easily breakable. Even the world around us is attacking us with temptation on the daily. We live in a my body, my choice world, and the devil's trying to deceive you and me right now to think and believe any other way other than the way of the God of the universe. In Matthew 26, Jesus is uh, filled with anguish, and he's, he's in the garden praying before he gets, he's about to get crucified, and he's, he teaches his disciples this lesson. He's about to be betrayed, and, hey free wrapping paper over there if you want it. <laughs> he teaches them this lesson. He says, watch closely and pray so that you won't fall because of temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh or your body is weak. Meaning don't be sluggish. <laughs> don't not pray. Watch out closely for the many, many ways you are being tempted even now in the room. Don't feed the desires of your flesh. First Corinthians says that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he's going to provide the way of escape so that you can endure it. And this leads us to our last point of the night, and it's, hey, well, but, yep, nailed it. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. We'll key in on that last part of the First Corinthians verses. It says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I think we love to overcomplicate over the idea of glorifying God. 
We say, how could I glorify God? You know, it, it sounds like a hard thing, right? He's the God of the universe. How could, I, how could I give him anything that he wants? I put it very simply. John Piper put it very simply, not me. Pastor John Piper. He said, glorifying God is to use your body in ways that will show that God is more satisfying, more precious, more to be desired, more awesome than anything that your body craves. I began, following, I began following Christ going into my senior year of high school, and I went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes golf camp. That's where I came to the Lord, shout out FCA, and I went to this camp not really expecting to become a Christian. I thought I was one already. I honestly thought I was already a Christian, but at that camp, God revealed to me my sin. He showed me that like I said, like my, my porn addiction, the, the sinful ways and the selfishness in my life, the things that I was gripped by, I couldn't get past these on my own, but Jesus' sacrifice would give me the power to overcome them. Jesus' sacrifice would be what saves me, not anything of my own doing. And the older and the further I get away from that moment, I just get more thankful. I get more thankful because I, I see it's been... 11 years, God has done so many things in my life, so many things, and it, helped, it makes me get more and more thankful that I could be used for his glory in any way, but there were two verses at that camp that God used to really change my life, the Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it says, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, and because of God's mercy towards you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. It says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I could focus on a million places, and I have focused on a million places in this verse in my life, but I remember at the time thinking, God, I I trust in Jesus. Like, I know you have saved me now. But I'm not transformed. I'm not different. I am bound to the patterns of this world. I'm not sure, Lord, that in my mind I really know how to glorify you with my life and my body, but I saw that it said be transformed. Be transformed by who? By God. How is he going to transform you? going to renew your mind. He's going to change the way that you think. He's going to break patterns of thinking and acting in your life that you never thought that you could not live by and never thought that you could not think that way. He's going to break down those shackles in you. He's going to help you love the unlovable person. He's going to teach you to hate your sin. Let's be honest, we, we love our sin. He's going to teach you to hate it, only with his help. He's going to break your heart and compassion for people who don't know Jesus, people who don't understand the gospel, that the curtain is torn. He's going to teach you the way to go. He's going to guide you towards the things to do. He's going to help you become the person you were created to be. He's glorified and pleased in the transformation of your life. 
you can't do it left to your own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, he can do it. Speaking of transformation, I'd, I'd like to invite a new leader here at the blockade of the city. His name is Barry. He is going to come up and share his transformation story. So would you guys give it up for Barry? Hello? So I appreciate you guys having me here today. I see a lot of people that I know, which is kind of cool, because a year ago I was not a Christian. Um, what happened, I kind of grew up in a family that, you know, we kind of went to church every once in a while. I kind of stopped completely in middle school, but I knew the gospel. I knew Jesus. I kind of knew all that, but I thought I was a good enough person anyway, so I could kind of do my own thing. Um, I continued living that life through college, moved to Kansas City. And realized that, you know, I was putting my identity into all these things. I was putting it into rugby, into my work, and all these things that were external. And that was where my purpose was. And one time I decided to get randomly this book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I read the book. And it convinced me that it was true. Christianity was true and that I was a sinner and I was going to hell. And that scared me. So I put the book away and I looked up online how to debunk it. Didn't convince me, but I suppressed it again and I continued living my life. A little bit later, that scared me enough, I got another book called The Screwtape Letters by the same guy, and one of the things it said was that the devil will tempt us by continuing to let us be distracted, and that scared me even more because I saw that I was only distracted, not focusing on what was important, so I just put that away, continued living my life. Um, so I was out there, I was drunk in Westport by myself at a certain time, and there were these street preachers out there. One guy was with a megaphone, there were these two guys my age handing out gospel tracts. For some reason, I would have been talked to one of the guys. I don't know why, I was just curious why he was out there, and I started asking some questions. He invited me to church. I told him, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in all this, and, and I said, yeah, I'll go to church with you, and I probably wouldn't have gone, but I said I would, and I was leaving. I saw my friends going to the bar. I was like, I'll catch you later, man, and he said to me, be careful, and he uh, said, yeah, I'll be fine, man. I'm not going to get too drunk. I'm an expert at this, and he's like, no, just be careful you don't die, man, because he really saw that if I died that night, I would have gone to hell, and I would have deservedly gone. Because the whole life I lived was for myself. Everything I did was based on what I wanted. And so I woke up the next morning. I was hungover thinking about, should I actually go to church with this guy? And I kept thinking if this guy actually cared about that. So I was like, all right, let's see what this is about. So I went to church, and it was weird. It was really weird going there the first few weeks. I didn't feel like I fit in at all. The, you know, I met with these guys a few other times. They shared with me some gospel presentations. They asked me what you would say before God when you're standing into heaven if you're allowed to get in. And everyone said, oh, I'm going to put all my trust in Jesus. And I kind of said something like I would trust myself. I think I'm probably good enough. And, you know, I just went on. Eventually, they kind of shared another presentation with me. They shared Romans 10, where it said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so I knew in my head that it was true at this point. So I kind of said the words, thinking that I might as well. And then I went home and realized what I'd said. You know, I'd said that I actually believe that God raised up this guy from the dead 2,000 years ago and that he was the Lord of my life. And I didn't know if I believed it or not because I still wanted to live my life the same way I was. So I got on my knees. I started to pray and realize and um, read the Bible. And eventually I started getting this weight on my chest that said, you know, you were this sinful person. And then everything about you, you know, you're living your life. You're deserving of wrath. You're just, you have no hope on your own to do this. You have to turn to Jesus. He's your only chance. And so... I didn't know if I was saved right then, but I put, I prayed that God would change my heart, and I knew that I was only able to count on his life. So I made the decision to change from my old self to live for that. 
And after that, it was really hard because I had lived for 26 years of my life doing whatever I wanted to do, the course of the world, whatever everyone else thought was right, I would do that. And uh, eventually, you know, it was tough. I had to start making these decisions. And you had to cut off all my old friends. You know, they would text me. I would want to go out drinking with them, but I realized, you know, I can't. You can't do that because I would just fall into temptation. So I had to cut them off. Got rid of my iPhone, got a flip phone, got rid of my TV. And it was tough in the beginning, you know, because you're, you're changing your life completely. And I kept thinking, should I go back to that? But it was all, every time I would think that, I realized how empty it was. All those old things I had built my life on were empty. And they would all just go away. So eventually, you know, I started coming to the block. I found fellowship. You know, I found other people. And you start to see the hope that's actually in Christ. And you see that you can grow. And you see the real meaning and purpose and truth and happiness that comes with being a Christian. And just like that guy said to me, you know, at that point, how he actually cared about me. I do care about anyone here who doesn't know Christ. And you guys that do, I really appreciate it all. And uh, I hope that this works for you. And you can look and know Christ also. And I'm here to help you guys with anything. So appreciate it, guys. great story Barry and and it's amazing that the block in any way could be a part of your life transformation just just thank you for sharing your story God is so good and he's working in so many places other than just this place but and God's not asking you to do anything or to be anything that he himself is not going to be right there with you helping you fighting for you and protecting you He's going to strengthen you, and he's going to uphold you. He's going to be with you. The last thing Matthew writes in the book of Matthew, he says, don't forget it. He says, remember it. Behold, always remember as you go. I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So to summarize, the temple of God is holy. Now your body is the temple. Now glorify God in your body. A few takeaways, a few things that you could do right now, a few things you could consider and think through how to glorify God in your body. Here's a few questions I want you guys to consider. One, am I mastered by or addicted to anything? Glorify God by bringing it to the light. He's glorified in your transformation. Ask for prayer. Be accountable with someone about it. We know there's addictions and diseases that require medical attention as well. We want to help you get the help you need also. God is powerful and wants to help to heal you and endure through it. Number two, do I make my decisions in light of being the temple of the Holy Spirit within me? <laughs> there's no shame at all in being tempted, ever. There's no shame in being tempted or falling because Christ has taken your shame on the cross. The righteous person rises again, as the book of Proverbs says. Titus 2 says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to temptations of sin from ourselves and from worldly patterns around us. The grace of God that is in you is strong. Your flesh is weak, but the grace that is with you is strong. And number three, am I known deeply by and accountable to other Christians God has put in my life? Am I seeking to belong to the family of God? 
the main other way that temple is talked about in the scriptures is, yes, your body is a temple, but it talks about how the believers all together are being built up as a temple. That you, uh, it talks about in, um, the Apostle Peter puts it this way. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up together to make a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ. I can say for myself that primarily any growth that I've experienced has been in the context of being a part of the all of us together temple, seeing other people around me pushing me. If, if you don't have a local family of God that you belong to, we'd love to invite you, one, to continue to come here. This is going to be meeting for two months, so we'd love to invite you to uh, Sunday gatherings with us in the local church here at Lenexa Baptist and Journey Bible Church on 151st Street. And we would love to show you what it means to be a part of the family of God. I'm going to invite the worship band to come on up. And um, we're going to sing some songs, one that is very dear to me, uh, to my heart. And we're going to ask God to teach us his ways. And not just teach us his ways, like Barry said, so that we would just have a knowledge of his ways. But teach us how to live his ways. I want to invite all of you guys to stand with us now. We're going to sing, but before we sing, I just want to just pray over us, pray over these next few months. God, your people are here in this room. People who you want to be, your people are here in this room. And God, in our bodies, we have just made a misery, miserable attempt to be holy in our own efforts continue to make miserable attempts to be holy. God, we, we cry out to you. We need you. You said to pray and watch out. The spirit within us is willing. We are weak. We confess it, Lord. We ask for you to work in us, in our hearts. And I ask that anyone in here who doesn't know you, God, would just have the courage. God, would you give them the courage to come forward, God, at the end when, when I'm up here and when other stage connectors are up here with the friend that has brought them to say, hey, I want to get to know this Jesus. God, we, we glorify you now. We glorify you with our lives. We glorify you now in song, all in Jesus' name.